This week on the Eldritch Lawcast, we are diving into the legends of Vox Machina, talking about the entire season, as well as discussing why live plays like Critical Role are so popular. All that and more right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Eldritch Lawcast, your favourite tabletop RPG and role-playing podcast. My name is Ben Byrne, and I'm here with Sean Merwin, James Hake, Dale Kingsmill. I just realised I said tabletop RPG and role-playing podcast, so I just repeated the same thing. Dale, uh, I have a question for you. As ever, if you could have uh, one person run a game of any tabletop RPG... Uh, who would it be? Who is your like dream Ooh. game master? Why and for what game? Oh, that's hard. That's a hard question. It's one of those questions where so many options fly into your brain that it's like difficult to pick one. Um, the Australians are floating to the top. Uh, okay. I, I have had the pleasure of being in a game of Microscope run by Zach Naum, uh, which was delightful. And I've also, um, my friends from Sans Pants Radio, D&D is for nerds, Adam Carnivale, uh, I did a one-shot sort of D&D simplified uh, with him that was was a ton of fun. And I would love to just play more stuff with them. They're cool. They're cool people. And they're just a lot of fun. And it's it's always, it's nice uh, getting to approach the game from the same cultural context in a way. Cool. I have I have many Americans who I would love to, to run for me as well. And I would love to play with. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Those are the two that spring to mind. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Sean Merwin, if you had a dream GM, someone to run a game for you in any system, who and what and why and how? Well, I, I, I also have had the great fortune of having Ken Height run Knights Black Agents for me. Uh, some of the Wizards of the Coast developers running D&D. Uh, Rob Schwalb running his uh, Demon Lord, Shadow of the Demon Lord game. But you know what I would love, really love to play with as a DM? You all. I think that playing <gasps> with you all would be absolutely wonderful. <sighs> because you are so sure. excellent with your craft that where else would I want a game? My heart is warm. Sean. On this rainy, rainy day. Um, James, following that up, uh, who is... Impossible. Can't your, be done. <laughs> who is your perfect... GM. Also, all of you, yeah. Can't be followed. <laughs> it's like it's like Dale's well, New, Year res- New, New Year's yeah. resolution all over again, where she's like, <laughs> yeah. everybody said such nice things. In the yeah, absence of something uh, heartwarming and delightful, <laughs> um, I I would love to be in a game with um, uh, Dimension Twenty Dungeon Master Brennan Lee Mulligan. Um, who I met very briefly at uh, D&D Live, the Avernus one, the last one before pandemic, briefly met around midnight for uh, a, a an impromptu dinner at the <laughs> ground floor of a hotel bar. Uh, and he, wow, it has absolutely every ounce of energy offset mm. that he does on. He just seems like an amazing person. Mm. Um, um yeah, I, I don't think anyone comes comes higher than him on that list. Abria Yengar comes uh, like a oh, notch yeah. below, like like v- grappling for for supremacy on that list. Uh, he, <laughs> he and Abria, but uh, uh, God, they're they're such funny people. <laughs> um, 
I, I'm going to give a fairly typical answer that uh, is not going to surprise anybody. I would legitimately love to be uh, in a game GM'd by Matthew Mercer. Um, I just love the emotional gravity that he puts into his campaigns and the fact that he gets into, um, you know, scenes where it's like it's role playing to the point of just like just doing character scenes. You know, you're you're entirely immersed in the character uh, and having a conversation. And I suppose a close second would be doing a vampire masquerade game with Jason Carl, who uh, is mm. the storyteller for L.A. by Night. Um, I just, the the tone of, I haven't watched a lot of LA by Night. My housemate was a fan of it. And so I'd catch snippets of it as they were watching it. But just the tone, the the um, the atmosphere is sort of so well captured on that show and, and so consistent on that show. And he does a very good job um, of maintaining that and also diving into the characters and doing sort of scene work. So um would love to be in a game with either of those speaking of live plays um dale i i saved it uh sorry no james i saved it for you because you were out last week um we haven't talked about the legend of vox machina in its entirety i deliberately didn't watch the very last episode uh to to wait until we could all be together again um which what did we think that i finished it before you you did i would just like to point out did you watch it all in one go? Was there multiple sittings? Um, we watched half one night and then half the next day. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. What did you think? We would have watched it all in one night, except the rest of the family came home and <laughs> you can't. It's when when they're like, okay, but who's that? What's going You You have to stop. You have to Breaks wait. Breaks the immersion. What did you think? Did you enjoy it? I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time. What I will say that surprised me, right? Because going in, you you two were having your conversations about first impressions and you were saying, yeah, you know what? You can start with episode three. And I was like, how does that make sense? You need to know the characters beforehand. And as much as I enjoyed those first two episodes, I now see what you mean. <laughs> I see what you mean. Because it kind of, I like the first two episodes are awesome. They're great. But it, it does feel a little bit like here's the pilot episode. You know how you kind sure. of get a double length pilot for a lot of stuff. It's like here's the pilot and then here's the actual show is kind of what it feels a little bit like. So I do mm. understand what you mean now, though. I rescind yeah. my. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your incredulity. My question mark. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I, I, I stand by my earlier uh assertion that every third episode is the best episode of legend of vox machina to that moment every three episodes it just clicks you, up in quality you're gonna have to break that down for me because like it's all just <laughs> blurred together six? for me now yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> um episode six if i'm remembering right it has been a couple of weeks since that but episode six was a fight between scanlan where he was turning into like triceratops and running through oh, the mansion as it all blew up um that was the episode where I thought the humor of the show finally really got online um, because <laughs> respectfully, um, every time they made a joke in the first five episodes, I was like, huh. Oh, uh. that, that's <laughs> I love, I love the show. It became truly incredible by the end. I loved, you know, spoiler alert, but I loved all the sequences with Percy and Orthax at the end of it. I love what they uh, did promoing the whispered one, uh, Silas's death, Delilah's uh, God. It, I mean, it, it was all amazing, and the, and the humor was really, really good by the end. Um, it just took a little time to come online, in my opinion. Mm. You know what does occur to me? This is one thing that 
as someone who came from the original campaign and then watched the show and kind of has been puttering along with the comics in between and stuff, it, it was hard for me watching Vex be mean to Keyleth. <laughs> because, because, you know, when you watch the show, they're like past any of that stuff by the time the, the original show begins. Um, mm. And you get a little bit of that sort of thing in the comics, the, the early comics that were released, because it's that thing of, you know, oh, none of us trust each other. Vex has only ever had her brother. We don't want, you know. So you've got all those tensions in the mix in the early sort of origin story stuff. But it was hard watching it sort of be transplanted onto this storyline mm. because it, it like I can understand that coming in fresh and not knowing watching that show, you'd be like, oh, this is fine. This makes sense to me. But it was it was hard watching watching Vex be mean to Keyleth for a couple of reasons as well because you know with with Pike not there it's also you know, I don't I don't love it when the only two like girls of a group just are constantly mm, competing gotcha. with one another in media. Yeah, that's fair. I mean the the whole show is kind of uh, a remix, right? Like I from episode th well I, I was about to say from episode three to episode nine, I could have told you what the entire plot is before watching it. That's not quite true. I jumped on board with the live stream a little bit after that, but it was very, like, it was like a remix, right? Like my partner who didn't watch the stream when they're fighting the Briarwoods, she's like, oh, is that how that happened? What's that spell that they're casting? And I'm like, look, you probably could break it down and be like, this is this, but in fact, there's YouTube videos out there that already do that. But at the same time, it's translated for a TV show, if they were doing literally blow for blow the fight with the Briarwoods in the um, in the stream, it would have been much more boring as a cartoon because it would have been them standing around, taking a hit, waiting to get hit, and yeah, then they, Silas they find slowly ways to take Grog out of the fight to explain why he's not just destroying yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, so they, you know, by necessity, they had to remix some things to uh, translate it over. What were some other things that were thrown in there? Like that, you know, I, I didn't realise that the rivalry between Keyleth and um, Vex wasn't from the original show at that time. I Like, I didn't blink an eye at that. I was just like, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense because of reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like they were attached at the hip or anything, but sure. I like I distinctly remember one of the first things that happened in the show that made me go, I'm going to keep watching this forever, aren't I, was... Mm -hmm. um, was in the first arc of the the original campaign, there's they're in the underdark, and there there's this description of a chasm, and there's these like, you know, caves in the opposite wall, and Keyleth and Vex, or, or probably Laura and Marisha, really wanted to go and check out the caves, but the rest of the team were like, no, we shouldn't do that. There's no reason to, and they took a vote, and like the majority voted, no, we're not going to do that, and then there's this pause. And then Vex and Keyleth go, screw you guys, we're taking the magic carpet. And they did it anyway. And I was just like, yes. <laughs> and it was, it was just this wonderful moment of like, yeah, girls do what they want. We're not doing what the boys tell us to do. And it was, I don't know, it, it really was probably partly because, you know, legacy media does give you this thing of there are only two girls and they are always fighting with one another. It was nice yeah. having this moment of like, ah, we do what we want. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I suppose character development for um, future seasons to let that relationship develop like it did on the stream um, in an organic way. Yeah. It was fun watching how they remixed things. I remember the fight with, oh, I can't remember, Professor Anders. 
um, how he was um, using, you know, charm person or dominate person or whatever he was using. It, like that literally happened in the, the stream. And so it was a lot of fun watching that fight pan out in a way that was remixed because I think it happened in um, the Whitestone Castle in the stream, not in its own little house, but still playing homage to, you know, literal events from the stream. Even like you you said, James Scanlon turning into a, to, to, into a Triceratops is something that happened in the stream that in the show was like a two second bit, you know, it was kind of like transform. All right, now what else do I have in this magic bag? Correct me it if I'm wrong though. It was also kind of an accident, whereas... In the original, yeah. that's like how he opens the yeah, yeah. the greatest episode of any actual play ever. Doesn't he just like go on a full like? Because I, I think I came in just after like that had just happened, and then I started watching. Doesn't he go on like a full rampage? Like half the episode is him just rummaging through this house as a triceratops. Do you want to take this one, James, or will I? <laughs> Truly, I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, much much of, much of the middle sort down. of like the middle members of Percy's list. I have no recollection of what actually is, happened okay, in that Whitestone is, arc. I, I had very high expectations for this with the show, and and the remix did change some things that I maybe would have done differently uh, while sure. translating into a into a series. But the the sequence of events for that whole raid on the house is incredible because watching it live you're going through they're planning they're like okay we want to start a rebellion but the people are frightened we need to like do something that will tell them now is the time right mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. they've plotted this thing they're like we're going to hit these houses simultaneously you know set them on fire so that the people know like this is the real deal and they're organizing who's going to go to which of the which of the houses and you know oh, you go here you do this oh well no but we need someone who can do light the fire blah blah like they organize the whole thing and in the mix they accidentally they they don't realize that they've assigned only scanlan to one of the houses <laughs> they, they, they literally they're like okay scanlan's doing that one with blah and but in the mix they they keep taking people from scanlan's team to be on a different team and then in the end he goes off to do the thing and then there's this moment where i think it's marisha goes wait wait who's with scanlan and he's like, I'm already gone. I'm already gone. You can't. It's metagaming. I'm alone. It's fine. And then he just like, it's it's the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. I don't think anything will ever top it again. He opens the fight by turning into a Triceratops and, you know, smashing through the door. And he doesn't stay as a Triceratops for too long, but everything he does is very deliberate. He's like, you know, I'll do this first, then this, then this. And then he mm. drinks a fire breathing potion and... You know, the rest is history, but. Sam, the master schemer. Which, by Um, the way, can I just say, if we're talking about Legends of Vox Machina, I just, I was led to believe by the conversation of you two that the worst kind of things I would see would be Scanlan's balls. (laughs) But that was nothing compared to having to watch a man who is sitting on a toilet Stand up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the poo falls into the bowl. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think we had seen that yet. Because I think that, what's that going to be like episode seven, maybe, or six? I, I think it's about episode six. It's, I think it's the Scanlan <laughs> Takes the House episode. It's, oh, that, I'm scarred for life. <laughs> which which leads me to my next question, which is like this show... Um, 
it has a task. It's a very D&D show. I think, I don't know if you, like, if you don't know anything about D&D and you watch this show, I don't know if you you can, like, notice the nuances that make it a D&D show. But it's kind of something that I think is also very special to um, Critical Role as a live play. And I just said before, you know, I'd love to be in a game that Matt's running because I love the emotional gravity that he puts into the scenes um, and you have scenes where Vax comes to Percy and has like this, you know, you're my brother, I'm your brother, I got your back. Like we're going to, to you know, no matter what happens through thick and thin in a bathtub and then Laura throws out this one-liner about like bursting up from from beneath the water of the bathtub, um, sort of implying uh, specific things. And so the cartoon had this challenge of balancing tone. You know, you have this like really dark... Um, plot with uh, Percy's character, his family's murdered, he's on this revenge plot, he can't stop himself, like he doesn't even realise how far down the rabbit hole he is, he can't stop himself from murdering people um, because this uh, demon is, is pushing him in that direction, balanced against Scanlan casting lightning out of his penis. Like, how how do we think the show went at balancing those two tones in the same episodes? I'm going to answer this because otherwise I'm not going to say anything the entire time. <laughs> uh, so cu- cu- coming coming as someone who didn't has not watched one iota of Critical Role uh, and watching okay. uh, Legends of Vox Machina, I my thought going in was how will this be taken as a D and D product? Mm. Will people who have mm. no idea what D&D is watch this and say, I would love to play D&D once they figure that out, if they do. And the tone, mm. I think the, the tone of the first two as I watched it was, okay, if all the players have had too much to drink and you know they do this to blow off steam on the weekend, this is what you get in those first two episodes. Right. There isn't there's some there's some character interaction, but not a lot. It's mostly just sort of jokes of the uh, more body variety and cool. I've played D&D sessions like that and I've had a blast. You hit the third episode and suddenly it becomes a very serious show. And Mm. the the uh, you know, the balance between those two things is not bad, but it's definitely way out of whack uh, if you expect an even tone throughout. I've only watched the first mm. five episodes, so I'll, I, I can't speak beyond that. But the, you know, the first two episodes, hilarious, you know, funny body. Then it gets to the point where the laughs aren't, aren't coming or the chuckles or the grimaces uh, aren't coming rapid fire. It's I'm interested now. I I said after five episodes, I'm going to see if I want to keep watching. I want to keep watching. Uh, it, it hooked me. The story hooked me. If it had just been after the first two episodes, I would have said, I've, I've been here. I've seen this. I don't need to watch anymore. Cool, but not sure. for me. So I think I think it does a good job of the, the after episode three, three, four and five did a great job of showing the seriousness that you can have in a role playing game story while still throwing in mm. some some silliness and some character building uh, aspects that hinge on humor. How did you feel, Sean, especially as someone who's never seen the stream and talking about that specifically? I think episode four is the episode with the wraiths. 
and episode three <laughs> with the dinner party and then the fight afterwards, that 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 is a tone shift, and that's like when the plot like really kicks in, right? But it's still <laughs> it's still like this high fantasy um, show. And then that Wraith mm-hmm. episode hits like a truck. Like those things are like the sound, uh, the sound effects they put to them, the the creative way in which they, you know, like pulled people into walls and and things like that. Those things were absolutely terrifying. How did you feel? Like, did that hit you as hard as it hit me? Sort of coming from this light tone into this like incredibly almost horror atmosphere. Absolutely, it, it reminded me of why we seek media to bring into our games. Because if we ran a, a, a fight like that in D&D and we, we played with people who were just sort of, yeah, I want to roll the dice, you know, we would describe, as the DM try to describe it, but the players would be more like, well, what do you have that can make sunlight? What do you have that can do mm. radiant damage? Mm. Right, Rather than getting into the the horror aspect of it. So seeing it played out like that so brilliantly, but you can still translate it in the game terms. You need light to be able to fight these things. Uh, But it helped me watch that as a DM to say, the next time I run something where the players might not know what's happening, I'm going to find a way to play that aspect of it up to try to bring Mm. out some of that in the players and hopefully prompt them to bring their characters out through that role playing uh, a little mm. bit. It, it definitely like that episode was far and away my favorite. Um, I know you tweeted about it, Dale as well. And when you, when you started tweeting about it, I was like, yes, the, the Wraith episode. Um, because I think you're right, Sean. The other thing that it does is causes the, the, the characters in the show have a genuine, horrified reaction to the monsters and they're not certain what to do and they you know they are afraid and um you know you can't expect players to want to be vulnerable at the table because that you know role playing that out is a vulnerability um but that's the the meat and potatoes that i love when you get a group that's willing to go there with you and not just be like well i'm the hero of the story i'm just gonna like muscle my way through like they can't hurt me you know or um Give, give the middle finger to the wraiths and just be like, ha, 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 poop joke or whatever. I think that the show does a good job of, like, in terms of balancing the tones, not subverting the tone at inappropriate times, not violating the reality of the, the fantasy situations that they're in at any given moment and kind of finds ways to for, for the characters to earn back their power or grab back their, their power in a given situation without it... Um, you know, completely humiliating the the villain in any given situation. Does that make sense? I don't know. I felt that in the earlier episodes, there there was a lot of just sort of like gag humor that mm. that often kind of towed the line of violating the fantasy in that way. But as sure. series matured, and we got to uh, like the attack on Stonefell's house, where Scanlan was going through the potion bag and doing all sorts of wacky stuff, that that felt like they were finally beginning to marry the two tones that they'd established. Mm. Um, now, now it's not just, oh, look, look at Scanlan who's turned into a woman now. Aha! Now it's we're we're paying off something we've set up. Uh, and Scanlan, who is our comic relief character for for much and much of the time, both in this show and in the live stream, uh, 
is finally here to do something uh, that is both completely keeping in tone with who he is and and pretty funny. I, I, I felt the same way with Vax and Percy trying to get in the back door of the house. So mm. Percy's like, oh, screw this door. I'm going to go find a window. And then a minute later, I fell out whoop, the window. I fell out the window. <laughs> it's, it's a lovely moment of levity for Percy before he just falls completely down the rabbit hole uh, yeah. in the back half of the season. Yeah. Um, the one, in terms of that tone, the one thing that that, bothered me and i'm curious to know if it bothered any of you was the swearing um in the same way you might be surprised by this james i don't know because you you said you were surprised by people's reaction to the um to the violence um and how you know it goes from this jovial gag humor to like intense violence a moment later but just every time and dare i to bring it up i think the season two of the witcher had the same problem where when you over modernize the language of the show and everybody's just swearing constantly. Yennefer calls um, Reince a character in season two of The Witcher fire <coughs> all the time um, mm. because, oh no, I just I just put the explicit tag on the episode myself. Um, because, you know, she's upset at him, but it the just like- The floodgates are open, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Go, We've already go, messed this episode Go and be merry. <laughs> Which, by the way, this is this is Ben Burns' Witcher watch. Just- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on today's, uh, on this week's episode of Witcher watch, um, you know, it just when language is overly modern, when when um, swearing just starts to, me to infiltrate that you think through. Of Go ahead. Swearing as being overly modern, because I mean, okay, uh, this we're we're about to go off the rails. Apologies for the no, explicit good. tag. Words like f- <laughs> right, that's that is like base level, like what Anglo-Saxon, like, ah, like, you know, it is a word that hasn't evolved. It's like a crocodile of language. (laughs) Like it hasn't changed in a Mm. billion years. And Mm. that's the case with a lot of curse words is that we just, you know, we just kept them. Um, So it's interesting to me that you would sort of classify it as modernizing. And I wonder whether that's sort of something that comes along with the Hayes Codian um, sort of, you know, sterilization of media that happened in sort of the mid century. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that we had lots of cursing in media before then necessarily, sure. but I, I do, it, it is interesting. It's interesting to me. And also because this is a problem that a lot of people have with one of the characters in the most recent campaign of Critical Role. Right. Okay. See, I didn't know that. And I'll be interested to talk about that. I guess just to quickly clarify, it's not so much that I have a problem with the word itself um, or the use of like swear words um, yeah, because I mean, Ca- Castlevania, which is a, a show that actually I think sits shoulder to shoulder with Legends of Vox Machina as a very good kind of apples to apples comparison. Um, they they have swearing in that show. You know, one of my uh, favorite lines is when Trevor Belmont's like pulling, he's in a bar fight in one of the early episodes. He's like, I used to fight vampires and now I'm getting the kicked out of me by you guys. That's right. The floodgates are open. Um, but it, it feels like it's more about placement and like overuse. It feels genuine coming out of Trevor's mouth in that moment than it does, and I can't, like, point to a, a specific moment from Legends of Vox Machina where I was like, no, that really took me out of it. But I think it's, yeah, like, placement and overuse is what draws me out of it, is what makes it feel more modern and kind of like a bit of a tee-hee-ta-ha swear words are funny rather than, like, this character is having an emotional reaction to the situation that they're placed in. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I think I, I think it is easy to go overboard with the amount of uh, cursing for the sake of humor and relatability that mm. happens. Now, I don't think that Legend of Vox Machina or Witcher Season 2 cross that line, so I think it's sort of a tolerance preference sort of thing. But mm. I, I do know exactly what you're talking about. It's fascinating to me because I exa- everything that you just said has been applied to um, to one of the characters from Campaign 3 of Critical Role. And in both Legends of Vox Machina and in the case of uh, Campaign 3, it's something that genuinely never even occurred to me. Like, it, I, it never pinged on my radar. Mm. Um, so it is really... And I thought for a while that maybe part of that was the, the cultural divide. And I was like, maybe Australians just swear more and I'm just <laughs> like not registering it. But, uh, I mean, if well. Ben's registering it, then clearly that is not the case. I, it's fascinating. I'd be interested to sort of get to the bottom of it. Hmm. What, what, hmm. Begin your investigation, hmm. I suppose. Yeah. What, uh, what... Get my deer stalker. Yeah, 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 exactly. Here we, here we go. I mean, does Sean... It, does it have to do, do you with feel? the medium? Uh, but my question is, I, I was watching it and I noticed the, the swearing, but I didn't, I didn't think it was out of place, but I did for a second. And I don't remember why I think the language that they're using is more modern than medieval, but D and D isn't necessarily medieval. So it, sure. yeah, we don't do thou and, and, uh, the, so why not? Uh, but I wonder if seeing, see, hearing swear words come out of someone we're watching as a real person, as opposed to it as a character, especially a cartoon character, mm-hmm. I wonder if some people's minds that there is a, there's a incongruity there. Uh, I don't know. Oh. It, it didn't bother me, but I also have been known to swear once or twice in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I, Why I don't it's know. a wonder this podcast isn't explicit every week. <laughs> yeah, there's a Thanks, bunch Sean. of sailors in this recording booth. <laughs> mm. um, I don't know. I think that's a fair that's a fair point, especially because Legends of Vox Machina, as opposed to like Castlevania, which has that much more pointed. Um, grittier art style. Legends of Vox Machina is very colourful um, and very cartoony, um, kind of kind of slightly blockier, I suppose, in in its art style than um, than Castlevania is. But then again, if we look at season two of The Witcher, like they're real life people swearing. I think as you say that, my reaction is more. It's more about like period. Um, that and maybe you're right, Dale. Maybe these swear words. I mean, not maybe. Intriguing. These swear words have been around for a very long time. But I'm just like I'm running through my head of like other fantasy shows. Um, I started watching Black Sails on your recommendation recently, Joey. Um, uh, how present is is swearing in those shows? And I'm sure it's there, but it just doesn't stand out to me in the same way because a lot of like swear words like the word um bastard you know doesn't quite have the same sting in a modern context as another choice word might but back in earlier days i presume that word carried a lot more weight for contextual and cultural reasons um sean you and i both want to talk (laughs) (laughs) i can see it on your face I'll ju- I'll just say that I feel like we could have a whole like dissertation on the word <gasps> here and how it's been used throughout history. Someone must but have I done think it. Maybe, yeah, I think that yeah. You know, oh, there's a whole book uh, called uh, yeah. Yes, and it's all That's about the the etymology. Yes, uh, but I think the way it is used, whether it's used as a noun, as a verb, uh, 
if 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 you're angry and you yell it at someone as a verb to do something to themselves, uh, mm. that that seems to be more. Uh, I don't want to say acceptable, but sort of more uh, more on point. Whereas if something happens to you and you're not angry, you just sort of fall back and say the word. That seems to be a more modern usage. Like instead mm. of saying it in anger, in in um, aggressively, as opposed to alas. <laughs> Maybe they yeah. should say zoons. <laughs> yes, God's wounds. Exactly. <laughs> God That's all I was going to say, Joey. What you got? Oh, I. I I just wanted to talk about an an experience with with cursing in media that did take me out of the story recently, and while while Vox Machina maybe kind of prickled my nerves a little bit, it didn't grab me by the collar in quite the same way as when just the other day I rewatched Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, and I heard Oscar Isaac's Poe saying "Three PO, move your ass." I was like, what? Can you say that in a Star Wars movie? <laughs> it's what, PG-13? They got their one swear? <laughs> yeah. They got it in there. Isn't yeah. that, is that not a the line? The original that, like, Star Wars said damn a couple of times. The damn, damn also, fool idealistic crusade. Yeah. A scruffy nerf herder. You, you can't say that. <laughs> Wait, right. whoa, whoa. Okay, we were just saying like. Yeah. And, and like you know, now I've gone over the top. And, <laughs> yeah. Jeez, now we have to That's completely. That's the light. We found it. <laughs> yep. They're apples yep. and oranges, really. Star Wars is, you know, kind of a kind of a, a, a kid's property that has kind of a, a sense of uh, a, adultness to it. Mm. But Legend of Vox Machina is kind of the opposite. It's an adult property that has sort of a sense of youthfulness to it. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I'm having a hard time reconciling why why this is quite so. Why this sticks out to me so much mm. because it, it's it's something about. It's something about the the sort of fantasy space setting makes because they said what the hell a lot in that movie too. What the hell is a completely benign slur? It wouldn't even make me bat an eye, but it does make me think: Is there a Do hell they in Star have Wars? Have a hell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Start unpacking. <laughs> it's Naboo, yeah. but uh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Fair. my gosh! Yeah. Um, uh, that, I just yeah. watched In Bruges for the first time. I feel like Naboo would be purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely a fascinating rabbit hole to fall down. I actually want to have that conversation further. But there was something else I wanted to talk about today, um, which is in general news, um, in the world of general news, beep, 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 beaming in. Um, it's uh, about a week old, actually. But I learned yesterday that Deborah Ann Wall is going to be running an actual play... Uh, with Demiplane, who is the company, correct me if I'm wrong, because I think you touched on it earlier, James and Sean, the company that is behind Pathfinder Nexus. Um, and is it accurate to say, I'm just vaguely remembering from our conversations, they were the same company behind D&D Beyond at one point or one of the the creators? So it's, it's a different company entirely, but Adam Bradford, who was the gotcha. sort of creative mind behind D&D Beyond, uh, departed fandom around the same time I did, actually, and uh, decided to set up a new company that had no ties with 
D&D as a brand or Wizards of the Coast as a company and was more sort of all-inclusive as a uh, tabletop gaming nexus. Gotcha. Um, the actual play is being called The Children of Airte, um, and is described as fairy tales for grown-ups in a 5e campaign, um, which sounds really interesting. The, there's a, a sort of cinematic trailer for it, which the tone of which was quite engaging. Um, it looks like they've got a pretty good cast for it. Um, Deborah Ann Wall is the, the storyteller slash GM for it. Um, are we, do we have room on our plates in our hearts for another actual play? I know, obviously, Dale, you've consumed a lot of critical role. Is there, are there other actual plays that you watch as well? Uh, I've, I've dabbled in and out uh, of lots of them. Um, my favorite one is actually, it's a kids on bikes, actual play podcast called bike brigade. And it only had, it only had three seasons and it's just, it makes me so happy. It brings me great joy in my heart. And that's, I mean, that's astounding because it's a podcast and I don't want to finish this sentence. (laughs) Um, podcasts are great and we should all be listening to them all of the time. Um, But, uh, yeah, no, I I have uh, come in and out of different uh, podcasts, of different actual plays. I am a fan of the format. Um, What is interesting to me about this one Mm. is what a cast. Mm. My goodness. They're just like, how about we just take a bunch of really great people and we put them all together? Um, which is always nice. And Jen Kretschmer also actually did uh, previously an actual play where it was it was called Monsters and Fables, and it was it was similarly sort of um, dark fairy tales was the vibe of that one as well. Mm. So it's going to be really interesting to to see what this one is. I'm looking forward to sort of metering the tone. Yeah. Yeah, because it is a little, it's sort of, it's quite mysterious at the moment, isn't it? And it, it could go either way in terms of being, um, um, you know, like a dark fantasy fairy tales or something that's a little bit more high fantasy. Um, uh, what, I mean, I guess I wanted to use this to bridge into a conversation about actual plays in general because... I I have tried with Critical Role to kind of like be there every week. Uh, at the start of season two, I was like, "All right, here I am. This is it." And then by episode three, I was, or episode I think they were on episode five. I was on episode three because it's just so many hours um, in a week to keep up with. Let alone watching Critical Role and Dimension Twenty and LA by Night and you you know all these actual plays that are going on. Um, what makes for a good actual play? What makes for something that's engaging that you want to watch? Obviously being personal opinion. I mean, I'm a, look, I'm a big fan of the existence of video on demand. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it, it is going to be interesting over the next, I don't know, year, two years to see. I mean, not to, not to try and read the future here, but a possible migration towards YouTube just because Twitch and its uh, VOD sort of sector don't quite compete with YouTube in that regard. So a lot of oh. people are, are streaming on Twitch. Um, and that makes sense. It is the streaming platform. It has the streaming tools. But I think that actual plays, even more than, than most other streamed things, really rely on on the people who come and they finish the session later or they you know watch it apart at a time or they 
watch it at two times speed, you know, any number of things because it's such a, a huge time sink. Um, and it's been interesting to see particularly with uh, Matt Colville's campaigns because he had uh, the chain, which he streamed, and he is now streaming Dusk, in which I'm a player. But um, the difference is that uh, that the chain was presented in full, much like a Critical Role episode would be. Whereas Dusk, before putting them up as a as a sort of consumable after the fact, they're being edited down. Mm. So you know, the last time we played, we had what like a four and a half hour session, half of which was us talking about the 1980s Transformers animated film. <laughs> I say we, I mean like three of the people. The rest of us hadn't sure. seen it. Sure, but the, it the was, rest of you were held hostage. It was a very long conversation about Transformers and its soundtrack. Um, but the the final video is like an hour and a half maybe maybe yeah. a little bit closer to two hours but you know it really you know truncates the whole thing and it's it's interesting seeing how it does keep the vibe of like a real D game where you do get sidetracked by bizarre unrelated conversations mm. but also just keeping it to the action mm. um yeah i don't know I'm, I'm interested this is this is the crux of the issue for me and it's the fact that i so vastly prefer edited video or podcast form of actual play, but I am loath to lose the sort of chronicle of a wacky D and D session that comes from unedited. Mm. Um, I think sort of middle of campaign one critical role is peak that style. Uh, it's perfect. Uh, that's honestly to me why the Chroma Conclave arc of Critical Role's first campaign is the best is because they weren't taking themselves very seriously, but their production values had gotten pretty good and they were all had, they were telling a lot of good stories, but it was still, you know, ad lib chaos. Um, however, I still think my, my favorite actual play experience of all time is, uh, the adventure zone balance of which each episode was about one hour and came out every two weeks. That's a great amount of content to get from one actual play, one hour every two weeks. It's perfect. Um, and if I could consume every actual play at that level of rigorous editing, um, I would, no doubt about it, no question. Well, I kind of did with the first uh, season of Critical Role, not by their design, but by, you know, fans kind of taking clips, cutting them up, mm. and then, um, you know, the moment where this happens, the moment where that happens. And so I watched the Briarwood arc or much of the Briarwood arc. Then I skipped ahead to the introduction of Darian Tarrington. Tarrian Darrington, sorry. I knew I'd get that the wrong you way around so at least close. once. <laughs> so close. Man, you skipped a lot um, of campaign one. You skipped yeah, well, that whole Chroma Conclave arc I, did, I was yeah, talking completely. so high about She's the really other second. three arcs, yeah. I know, yeah. yeah. No, 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 I'm aware. I'm aware because it was kind of like from then, I was like, I really enjoy this, but I can't find four hours every week to uh, engage with this. And I found listening to it on podcast, as you were hinting at before, Dale, um, wasn't is. as engaging. I think that's super valid. I think that's incredibly legit. Um, mm. Here's the one reason why I would never want Critical Role to start editing their stuff. And yeah. it's because right now these days, when I'm, I'm not watching Critical Role right now. I'm not watching Campaign 3. I don't have the time. I can't do it. Mm. I'd love to support them. They're my friends, mm. but I can't do it. Mm. Um, but 
that means the highest levels of critical role engagement I get is from uh, a couple of accounts on Twitter that will clip not like funny whole table moments, but they'll clip about a minute, minute and a half long, like conversation in the background between two or three of the players when they're not the focus. And it's hilarious what these people get up to. And, you know, Travis and Robbie are just kind of like sparring with each other while a dramatic scene is happening elsewhere. It's uh, that's magical. And, and editing Critical Role tightly enough to get it into an hour every week would destroy that. Um, and that's that's kind of the big strength of their cast, I think, is their sort of level of just like connectedness and friendliness and and you know sort of sort of juvenile fun mm. uh and 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 you can't edit that show or you lose that yeah and and the other thing is that critical role is an anomaly in that it, it there's so little to lose does that make sense like what would you edit out because you you don't want to lose it's not like there's long sort of sections of you know silence while people are trying to decide who's going to talk it's it's like wall to wall stuff happening um and i just don't think that it's and it's bizarre it's like the exception to a rule that hasn't been written yet um i hmm. i don't know i just it's weird to say yes critical role is absolutely like the standard by which other actual plays measure themselves but also Everyone has to do something completely different because mm. I don't mm. think that you can capture that. Well, that energy. He, yeah, I think. Well, um, a, I think isn't it a form? Isn't this a Go form ahead, that we can't point back to the 18th century and say, "Look at Moliere's, <laughs> you know, actual play <laughs> canon." Right. This is this After is doing something some that. Rubbing. <laughs> right. I mean, this this is something that is its own thing it you can't go back and say let's look at how it's been throughout history because we are seeing history being made and we yeah, are yeah. seeing audiences voting with their eyes and, mm. and their attention on what they like and what they don't like and mm. you know we can say you could do it this way you could do it that way but if you still have several million people watching you every week you're mm. probably doing something right. That doesn't mm. mean that you can't do it differently and get a different million eyes uh, on your on your output. Uh, but we're, I'm still waiting for the you know how to do an actual play stream for dummies book, and I think we've probably got <laughs> some time to wait before we see that. Well, it's like any medium that evolves and changes, right? And I guess this is. Um... Uh, where I was sort of aiming towards was not to talk about like, should critical role be edited or not? I don't think that's the question. I think it's more uh, being interested in the different styles of actual play beyond just like tone and genre. You know, I, I think there's a lot of concentration on like critical role does a really good job of striking that balance between drama and comedy and LA by night, while it has its amusing moments for sure, it's definitely got a, a talented and uh, funny cast its tone is much more about the the drama, whereas Dimension 20 is, you know, meant to be really lighthearted and, and really um, com engaging through the comedy of it. Um, shows like you were talking about, James, uh, that are edited down to an hour, I would assume were conceived in that way. And so I was, I was listening to a film critic the other day talk about how, you know, through the 90s and early 2000s, 
all superhero movies kind of looked like Ben Affleck's Daredevil, where they were grungy and, like, dark in tone and it was, like, New York at night because Tim Burton's Batman probably had a lot of influence on that coming through. Um, Blade, uh, X-Men obviously had a lot of influence on that. And that's what people thought superhero movies were until the advent... Basically, yeah, of Iron Man, of this bright and colourful, like, uh, you know, joking. more grounded, yeah. It's- yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and so I think what we're seeing, I will be fascinated to see what uh, Children of Erte, uh, Erte ends up being in terms of is this going to be a three-hour-long, four-hour-long, unedited critical role style show are they going to make it tighter what tone are they going to go for how often will they release episodes like that 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 can all be um different depending on the show and then you have shows that are like completely out there like harmon quest which is completely edited and has an animation kind of placed alongside it um i think it gets forgotten about in the actual play discussion a lot because it's so different from other actual plays well, it's it, it's interesting in that um, the format is still in such a, a you know malleable stage. It is it's what fresh out the oven. You can you can shape it a little <laughs> bit. But I I think the bizarre thing is that people haven't quite you know clocked that yet. And I'm I'm excited for the moment when everyone starts going. Wait, we can make this any shape that we want. Because mm. right now, in the wake of Critical Role, I think there is um, an emphasis on the sort of incidental factor, which is that it's a live stream, right? Mm. Which I don't think is actually that important to what Critical Role is. It just happened to be what it was because Geek and Sundry was launching a Twitch channel, and they needed to come up with a bunch of live content. You know, it's not even um, a live stream anymore. It's not it's even a live stream. It is live dis- streamed. It and is then broadcasted. Yeah, but it is not actually live. Um, whereas, you know, we've still got a lot of actual plays that are that are coming in that are presented live just because that happens to be the thing, which has meant that we've seen a shift towards um, a form that's a little bit like theatre. You know, there is a little bit more um, control and planning i'm not saying it's scripted but Mm. there is a a lot more sort of um pre-production thought if we look at coloc for example there's a lot of um you know pre-production thought put into what this is going to look like when it goes live but it is still delivered as a live product like theater but i Mm. think that the again i'm just trying to predict the future i think we're going to see a shift where people start going Look, so many people are watching it after the fact anyway. We can make this into whatever shape we want, and we're going to have an explosion of creativity when that happens. Mm. I, for one, am excited about it. I think we're already seeing a lot of that, right? Because there's a lot, like, there's a lot of video game YouTube channels, or they, you know, they had some other gimmick was their thing, and now they're pivoting into D&D, likely because it's popular, but also someone in that, um, company happens to have a, a high passion for D&D, so let's give it a go. The two examples I'm thinking of is um, a, a New Zealand comedy group called, um, oh, I'm completely blanking on their name, uh, Viva La Dirt League, um, who started just creating short nine-minute comedy skits about like the reality of being a self-aware NPC in a video game, um, started doing um, a D&D actual play, but acting out 
and getting in costume the scenes that unfolded in the game. And similarly, uh, the Corridor crew who do the VFX Artist Reacts videos, they've start- I haven't seen any of it yet, but they've started doing uh, D&D actual plays, but then digitizing it so that their characters exist in this like digital world that they've, uh, you know, this CGI world that they've crafted to be able to act out, I assume, uh, what happens in the game as well. So you're already seeing a lot of people take the format and Jimmy with it. Yeah. And put their own spin on it. You know, what do we have that's unique to us that we can kind of, what, what, uh, cog can we add to the spoke? Is that the expression? Yeah, it's alchemy. Right I've never now. heard that before. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Um, uh, we can talk about live plays all day, but we do have an email here. Sorry, Dale, go ahead. I was just going to say, I have one thing that I did want to bring up when we were mm-hmm. talking about actual plays, um, which is that there was a conversation that occurred on Twitter over the last couple of days um, that made a couple little ripples that I did just want to touch on where someone was sort of saying that, I mean, I'm not about to call them out. I understand that they were making this tweet from, they they thought a harmless position of actual plays aren't my thing, but there's just one thing from their tweet that I think did stick in my brain that I've been thinking about a lot over the last couple of days, which is that they, they said that they don't understand uh, the appeal of actual plays because they think it's cringe. And I'm not, I'm not Mm. about to like, the point of this is not what the tweet was, but it it just really it made me think of a time in my life when I was a different person and I, with sort of an uninterrogated uh, thought process, was like, LARPing is really embarrassing. Oh, mm. wow. People who LARP are embarrassing. And I just remember the, the moment of clarity when I was auditioning for the Geek and Sundry Vlogs channel and it was this, you know, huge explosion again of, of creativity and people just making stuff about what they love and putting it online. And someone else who auditioned at the same time, Kristen Brumley, did a, a video series about LARPing. And I watched these videos and suddenly it was like something clicked and I went, wait, LARPing is just fun. It's just fun. Like, how could I think of this thing as embarrassing? And and the reason that this this tweet got stuck in my head going around is this idea of, like, D&D. I think tabletop RPGs, something that is very important about them to me, is that they give you a playground where you can play and you can do these things that you've been socialized into being embarrassed about. Because when we're kids, we can play make-believe no trouble. You know, mm. you're a family of dogs and one of you is a wolf and the mum and the dad have to go out hunting. But, you know, one of you is also, a pre- you know, it, you put all this stuff together and you just do what's fun and you make things up together and it's great. But as mm. you grow up, society is like, that's childish and you should feel silly for doing that. Mm. And so breaking back into it can be really tough. It can be scary. It can You, you worry that you're going to look stupid when you, you know, talk in character or whatever. So the wonderful thing about tabletop RPGs is that they, they give you a bunch of dice and a bunch of rules that make it safe. You know, they, they give you this, this jungle gym to play on and a safety net and they say... That's what this is about. Here are some rules to help you to do it. You know, here's some guidelines for what you might say. Here's a dice that'll tell you whether it's successful or not so you don't have to feel stupid about failing because that was on a dice, not on mm, you. Mm. And so I, I, the reason that I wanted to bring it up is that I think we need to be careful about the language we use around things like actual plays because it's a slippery slope. Once you start telling people that loving something is embarrassing, mm. that 
just you know cascades and gets really dangerous so i just wanted to say that no one should ever feel embarrassed for liking an actual play for playing in an actual play for taking your game and putting it out there for other people because that all that is is a belief both it, uh, you know the belief in the game world and a belief in that joy and the the point of that joy and sharing it with others and an invitation that they can be joyful and playful as well mm. that's all i wanted to say and it, it hurts my heart to have been in a generation that lived through role-playing being stigmatized so much and bullied for doing it and laughed at for doing it to then laugh at other people for what they like uh just don't do it <laughs> just don't do it just reminds do it. me um of a general story that I, I haven't thought about this in a while actually dale but you just reminded me of it um as someone who was providing D&D as a service, I would play with a lot of different people um, and introduce a lot of people to the game who were kind of curious about it but never played before. And something that I always loved was uh, players coming into the game, trying to understand the game and, and treating it sort of like a board game. They were like, all right, this is something that I need to like figure out the rules of and what I can do in this game. And every now and again, you'd have that player and you're like, oh, this person's going to love role-playing games they've just i've just given them this gift because they've just discovered this new world where they'd be like um all right so i can't do this i can't do this or can i and i'd be like yeah you can do that you can do anything you want you want to scale the wall scale the wall like whatever and just this slow creeping smile comes to their face when they realize they're like oh oh i can do anything like nothing is necessarily <laughs> off the table you know there's the the imagined physical limits of the world that you've created but other than that you know go go ham do do whatever it is you like and just seeing that um seeing that small smile come to that person's face before they're like all right here i go and they jump in with both their feet um is not something i've thought about in a little while Speaking of jumping in with both feet, uh, we did have an email this week. Um, email address, if you want to send us a question or a topic to discuss, is podcast at ghostfiregaming.com, or you can leave uh, comments below this video if you're watching us on YouTube. Um, this comes from Victoria, who emailed us a couple of weeks ago. Um, Victoria is currently in the process of learning a language for their D&D game, uh, and their question is, what is the most ambitious thing you have done as a GM in preparation for a D&D game? What is something that you've done to, to prepare your, uh, for, for your group, for your players? Sean. Oh, uh, back in the day, I created a campaign that melded two different games, Top Secret and, and AD&D. Uh, and I did so much research into, if you go back in time, you know, what, 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 how much does a gold piece weigh? How much gold is a gold piece? Because if you bring it back to the present, how much could you make off of that? And, you know, all these sort of calculations and created whole worlds and strung together old AD&D adventures to work in a top secret game and didn't end up using maybe but 10% of it. But just <laughs> it was such joy in in making that work Uh I didn't learn a language. I barely know English. So, Victoria, good work there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, what about you, James? Oh, man. Um, I, I learned calligraphy uh, uh, and promptly forgot it. 
um, because I, uh, I I ended up doing it digitally anyway. But I, I had a friend in uh, in high school who owned calligraphy pens, and I wanted to make these very cool props for my high school D and D game. Mm. And I, I very ambitiously set out to do it. You know, this is the most ambitious thing I, I did. I didn't say I succeeded. Um, and I, <laughs> and I, I, I learned how to use all those pens. And I, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to hand write all of these cool and you know, and then tea stain and oven bake and <laughs> shred the edges of, you know, all of these things make it just truly, truly artisanal handouts for my players. Yeah. Um, and I did one. And scrapped it because I couldn't keep that pace up. <laughs> so gotcha. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this in Microsoft Word <laughs> instead. Yeah. And uh, and uh, n- no one but me will notice the difference. <laughs> I uh, I laugh because I've like done very similar things. I wasn't learning calligraphy, but doing the whole like, you know, get the coffee grain and, and wet the paper mm. and then mush it into the paper. I've ruined a couple of tea towels doing that because they're <laughs> now completely brown as well. But then I would have a, a lighter over the sink because I knew that if I set the paper too on fire, I could just drop it into the sink and douse it with water. And that was my safety, um, my safety kind of uh, clutch, if you will, and worked really hard on this one piece and set it on fire and it really caught on fire and I had to like... Uh, blow it out. I can't remember what I did with it, but I just remember it took a whole chunk out of the piece of paper that I had written up. And I was like, no, nah, that works. And when I gave it to the players, it became like this full mystery. They were like, what, what's the missing piece? Like what, what, what did it say? We have to figure it out. So it, it tied yeah. back in. Uh, Dale, what about you? Um, I mean, I've done a few things. I, I mean, I can't stop myself from homebrewing, so it happens, like, all the time. There are things, like, people know that I, I made a new system for Thieves' Cant that involves a whole sort of um, sure. codified series of phrases, uh, plus a secondary system that uses a deck of cards. It's, it's a little bit complicated. I think the, the most over the top I've gone at the moment, <laughs> I'm actually doing it right now. It's up in the background. I have a OneNote page open, uh, is I'm prepping for a non-existent game, but I want to run like a like a remix on a remix of Dragon Heist. Um, and I've got this whole thing going where, cause, cause, hey, hey, James, uh, I've got this, this whole thing where, you know how Dragon Heist takes place over like one season. You pick the season, you do the season. I want to do it where it's seasonal. So you go through all four seasons. So as part of that, I've got this calendar and it's like laid over top of each other. I've got a calendar for like city events, a calendar for each faction, uh, some of whom I've changed. And then I've invented a new thing where I'm like, there should be a gang war. So I've got a gang war calendar. I've got all this stuff that is just like laid over itself where I'm going calendar, calendar, calendar. And then the idea is like, this is each of those timelines until the players intervene. (laughs) And then it'll start uh, you know, dominoing from there. And it's, I'm very excited about it, but I don't even have like players in mind yet. So <laughs> <laughs> that's over all right. the top, maybe. 
That is uh, all we have time for this week on the Eldritch Lawcast. If you do want to send us uh, a message, give us a topic to talk about, like I said, podcast at Ghostfire Gaming or drop a comment uh, below if you're watching this on YouTube. You can also uh, see our handles, which are in the show notes, as well as below our names on the YouTube feed. So if you want to keep the conversation going on Twitter or Instagram, you can reach out to us there. Otherwise, just go spread the word uh, of the Eldritch Lawcast. Keep the conversation going. Let people know that you found this new cool D&D podcast. Uh, And until next time, we will see you next week.